right, pretty excited to uh, to have John Austinson on the on the show today. Um, John, man, you got a, you got a background which is super interesting. You know, we have we have people from all walks of life, different different uh, you know um, abilities, and, and and they've started different businesses. But you in the Fortune 500 franchising, um, being able to create franchises as as a Fortune 500 executive, I really want to dive into this and learn a little bit about it. So, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Joe. Love the show and excited to, to be here with you. And uh, no, I've said yes to a lot of things in my career and learned lessons along the way as well. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to definitely dive into some of those lessons today, maybe some of those obstacles and challenges that you've overcome and on your rise to success. But give us a little bit of background. Like, where did it all start? Where did it all begin? Yeah, you know, to, to kind of skip forward, I mean, great childhood, but then uh at the University of Georgia, I uh, went with Accenture, large global uh, consulting firm, had the opportunity to work in India for about six months and, and try my hand at a few different things. And you know, like so many, I then went back to business school and, and got the, the uh, graduate degree. And from there, never thought I'd take this path, but I ended up in the children's apparel space. So worked for Carter's, Oshkosh Bagash, multi-billion dollar children's apparel manufacturer. And uh, really, it was the role that attracted me to, like, you know, work for the president and serve his right hand. And uh, you know, the company was always very good to me and I stayed for 10 years and it was really hard to, uh, to leave. Uh, you know, you get the golden handcuffs and the stock vesting and everything else that makes it so tough for so many people. Sure. Um, but I had that desire to, to do something a little more entrepreneurial and wasn't sure what that was. And I really stumbled into franchising, um, you know, mm-hmm. had been looked at looking at a few different private companies out there and had the opportunity to step in as president of Shelf Genie Franchise System, which is custom pull-out shelving for kitchens and pantries. And mm-hmm. uh, so I had the opportunity to come in and work with small business owners and our franchise owners across North America and uh, you know, supported them with our marketing teams and with our call center and technology teams and product development. And really got to see firsthand how franchising um, you know, outside of food, which I'd all, always associate a fast food with franchising, mm-hmm. got to see that there are more industries and sectors that uh, can provide a great living and, and that independence that a lot of people are looking for. So I um, also got to see what worked well and what didn't work as well. You know, who were the top franchise owners and what were they doing differently? So um, that really opened up my eyes and ended up partnering with the founder of Shelf Genie. We spun off and, uh, and created a digital marketing uh, company and you know, agency and, and media buying. And then we had a call center. So it was kind of a unique combination. We made the phones ring and then we answered them. Mm-hmm. And uh, we supported a number of different franchisees uh, across different brands out there in the market. And, and we grew that into a multi-million dollar business. You know, we're doing a couple million a year, had about 40 employees. And uh, ultimately the business didn't work out. Um, it was my 40th birthday weekend a couple of years ago. And uh, we had a couple of franchise systems that wanted to come on board as, as new clients of ours. And we weren't able to get to pricing that we could all agree to. And um, I really saw the writing on the wall that what I thought was a great model of marketing and the call center, uh, though it looked good on paper and people wanted it, they weren't willing to pay for it. So I made a difficult decision really to wind the business down. It wasn't some big sexy exit or anything. It was, uh, you know, really calling a spade a spade and um, realizing we'd never get the profitability for the effort that we we're putting in. Um, mm. So found good homes for all of our people and for our teams uh, and for our clients. And they're really proud of how we wound it down. Um, but pivoted from that over to where I saw just massive opportunity and it really played to my strengths in what I'm doing now. And that's working on the brokerage and consulting side. So 
Um, I get to work with several hundred franchise brands that we vetted, feel really strongly about across a whole number of industries, largely in what I call non-food franchising. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, get to represent them and finding great candidates to step in as new business owners. Um, both those that are looking to go full-time, leaving the corporate world, as well as those that are looking for uh, maybe portfolio investments uh, that can complement or diversify what they currently hold. Um, and so I have a lot of fun getting out there, educating, helping people step into it. And of course, you know, I love franchising. I, I own some franchises myself with some business mm -hmm. partners. So uh, yeah. I've had the opportunity to be on the franchisor side, now the franchisee side, and uh, where I spend most of my time is uh, brokering deals. I love it. I love it. I, and I want to touch on, um, I want to get into the, the non-food franchise side in a second, but I, we got to talk about this pivot you made because I, got, I, I can relate to you wholeheartedly about four or five years ago, three years, four years ago now at this point, we made this big pivot where we switched from single family homes and exited and went into self-storage and it, it was it was a mind-bending transition. It was a difficult transition. And, you know, I, like you, was about 10 years into it and had built about 45, 50 employees and were making money. And, um, you know, again, same thing, saw the writing on the wall. Well, you know, what, just if you could kind of walk me back through those feelings and like maybe some of the anxieties or pressures, because I, I think there's a lot of people who face these challenges who realize like, hey, this isn't working but they stay far too long in something that isn't working instead of making the pivot and, and going into something that is. So what do you think like is that precipice? What do you think is the, the thing that you, that should give you that, that, that pause? You know, for, with my corporate background, I, I was used to being able to make some decisions, but not all decisions. You know, there was still mm -hmm. hierarchy. I reported to the president of Carter's. And I think that ever since I left the corporate world, I've been much faster in my decision-making, just, just how I'm wired. I love the idea of being able to pivot and try new things and not have to answer to anyone. That, that's just how yeah. I'm wired. And um, so we'd, we'd had probably six to nine months leading up to the point where I made the call in which I was, I was journaling, which I usually don't do a lot of journaling, but just mm -hmm. you know, writing down my thoughts and, and kind of strategies and praying about it and just trying to seek wisdom from out, you know, outside. And it really, it came to the point where, um, you know, I brought on a lot of young leaders around me that I'd promised this, um, you know, big equity potential uh, to, and, and a lot of them were taking pay cuts to come work for us and, and lead the teams and had a great culture, had a lot, of, a lot of good things going, but I think other people started to pick up on, hey, the profitability is not there and we're putting in a lot of work. Is it ever going to get there? And yeah. Uh, and so it, we had three large franchise systems wanting to, to come on board. And, and it was really that uh, decision point where it's, hey, do we onboard them? No, we're not going to make a lot of money on them. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, for me, it was uh, really looking in the mirror and saying, I've got to make a tough call and I've got yeah. I can't kick, kick the can down the road. And so made the call 30 days later, we'd wound it down. So we have once we made the call, we made it fast. And, and that's and, quick. Uh, yeah. yeah and, and took it to uh, where it needed to be. This was all prior to COVID. I honestly can't imagine you know, going through COVID with that. Uh, mm. So I feel very fortunate. And you learn a lot about yourself through those times as well. Yeah. For me, I've led companies of larger numbers of people. That's not what I'm passionate about. Some people yeah. are so good at that. Mm. I would much rather work with clients and get out there and educate and strategize. I mean, that's just how I'm personally wired. And uh, sure. you learn a lot about yourself through those situations. Love that. Love that. All right, let's shift back. Up. Let's go into the current business now. We're talking non-food franchises. You know, what's it look like? I mean, how do you, you know, who's your, who's your prospect? Who do you, who do you want to talk to? And, you know, how do you engage with them? And what's the benefit? How do they get involved? 
Yeah. So first off, you know, I, I, there, it's entirely free for my clients, which I'll, I'll get into what we're doing. But, uh, you know, I get paid by the franchisors. It's a sales and marketing expense. None of that gets passed on to my clients. So I personally love the model because I get to sit on the same side of the table as my clients and helping them walk through the process of evaluating different opportunities. Um, and I work with enough clients. I'm able to see what's resonating with so-and-so with a very similar background and how that can complement. Uh, you know, I know a lot of your listeners are real estate investors. I'm a real estate investor myself. More than half of my clients are real estate investors and they're looking for ways to either complement their real estate practice in some cases or help diversify. You know, we've got record levels of cash sitting on the sidelines. Um, you know, interest rates extremely low, only so many good real estate deals to be had in a given market. So people are looking for ways to diversify their, their income and create revenue streams. And we're seeing two different things. One, it's those from an investment standpoint, they're looking for more sim, what we call, call semi-passive revenue streams where you put a manager over the business. But then also many that are looking to leave the corporate world. I did a um, deal yesterday with a former Wall Street attorney just outside of Boston. And uh, he bought a gutter business. You know, never thought he'd be in that business. But if I told you the numbers around it, you yeah. would understand why he made that choice. Sure. And, you know, I did a deal three days ago with a couple out in Fayetteville, Arkansas. They work for the University of Arkansas. They bought into a fitness uh, business that caters to the older population, which is a very underserved uh, demographic in that mm. capacity. So, um, you know, client buying a property management business later this week, and he's a real estate broker. So it complements his business. And so I can go on and on about, you know, what's, what people are attracted to, but we're doing more placements and see more interest than we've ever seen. And that's, I think due to a couple of things, it's, it's the cash on the sidelines, but it's also, you know, coming out of COVID people wanting that sense of control and that flexibility. And maybe in a lot of cases being able to work remote. Um, I think a lot of people are questioning the path they're on and, you know, many don't have what I call non-food franchising on their radar. So I enjoy getting out there and over 80% of my clients end up buying into something they never you know, would have thought of otherwise. But once we peel back the onion and understand what they want that to look like, and yeah, you know, I've got some clients that go out and, and you know, start their own business, you know, a traditional startup, obviously the rates of franchising success are significantly higher, but it's not for everyone. Some people sure. are too entrepreneurial, um, but then others recognize the fact that, hey, if there's a playbook and it's a proven model, um, you know, de-risk it to some degree, got a franchisor who's like a coach on the sidelines, I've got other franchisees in the system that I can learn from. Um, and then there's the potential for a really attractive exit as well. You know, you're mm -hmm. building an asset and oftentimes I can cite different studies. Oftentimes we see, um, you know, franchise businesses when they go up for the resale market, trading at a higher multiple than their non-franchise counterparts. Um, wow, that's so interesting. Private equity sees the value in it. Private equity is all over franchising right now, um, yeah. but a lot of uh, individual investors too. So, and, and, and I, the first thing I read on your bio and I thought was very interesting is I've never heard the term non-food franchise. So, I mean, now that you've coined that term, give us a like, why, is there, is it the de-risk? I mean, why, why not food? Hey, there are a lot of ways to make money and some people love the food space. I'd say over 95% of my clients don't want anything to do with food. That's mm -hmm. not my background. And yet when I say the F word franchise, you think fast yeah. food. And so sure. I, I did kind of see an opportunity with the segment to brand it a little bit differently. And so, yeah. you know, coming out of COVID, people want essential services. Oftentimes they want things that are Amazon resistant, COVID resistant, um, you know, they're gravitating towards uh, businesses that I would call non-sexy. It's things mm -hmm. like roll off dumpsters. It's, uh, yeah. uh, you know, property services are through the roof. We're doing tons of deals with driveway companies. I, I'm an investor in one of those, you know, insulation. Um, 
But then we're still doing a lot of business, you know, things that cater to the older population, anything health and wellness wise. I mean, automotive is very strong right now. We just did a 10 unit oil change with using prefabricated buildings. So you get in at a lower cost. There's just some creative models that are coming down the chute. And yeah. a lot of businesses, they're saying, hey, maybe we should consider franchising our business, even though we're non-traditional franchises, you would think about it. Um, but maybe that's a good means to scale. Yeah. I thought I coined the term, it's not sexy, because I, I flipped into self-storage a couple of years ago. And after selling these like flip houses, everybody loves flip HGTV, you know, propagated this for the last 10 years. We started to doing self-storage and I kept telling my investors, it's not sexy. We're building con you know, concrete and steel boxes. But, you know, so I love that you use that terminology. Oh, and non-sexy um, is the new yeah. sexy. It's the new sexy. Clients yeah. ask me about yeah. self-storage all the yeah. time that's, and car like, washes. and Absolutely. That's it. Do the numbers work? That's all that matters. It doesn't have to be sexy. Do yeah. the numbers work? I'm like, the numbers are really, really good, but it's not sexy. We build, we build concrete and steel boxes. Um, so tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what is it, what does it take to invest in one of these? I think most people think about franchise. They think I need a million dollars to buy something. I mean, what does it look like on the cash perspective? I know everything's different, but you know, give me, give me some, some rough example of what, what one might look like. Yeah, our average deal size, I'd say, is between 150 and 250. Um, okay, and there are ones the driveway business I invested in. We, we went all in for 90,000. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, those, those were the don't require brick and mortar retail presence, uh, which we're still doing a lot of those deals too, but those would cost more, take a little bit longer to start up, uh, maybe not be quite as flexible, but there are pros to those as well. Um, but I'd say the majority of our deals are between 150 and 250. Some people are tapping into their retirements through what we call a ROPS plan, where you can set up as a C Corp and you're able to evade some of the tax, uh, you know, downsides. Uh, but also SBA loans continue to be very common, especially SBA Express loans that are 150 and below. So we work with some great partners that help our clients uh, get into lending uh, opportunities. Um, so that that's kind of what we see there. You know, I'll just use that gutter company as an example. And this is one, the profitability is a little bit higher than some others. So you know, know that going in. Um, my client all in for one location there, I think he's all in 155-ish. Um, you know, that includes your franchise fees, startup costs, some working capital, some initial marketing, um, and that business, the, the returns are insane. They're, they're averaging, this is across all their locations. Uh, their owners are doing 1.2 million in revenue per location with mm. 383 dropping in the bottom line. Don't ask wow. me how I remember that number, but yeah, yeah. I call it 31% drop in the bottom line. Their corporate locations doing three and a half million. There's a lot of meat on the bone in those areas that aren't necessarily reinventing the wheel, but they are bringing a white collar approach to a fragmented mm -hmm. blue collar industry. And uh, you know, some of these businesses, you could go start on your own, but you'd mm -hmm. be starting off first base with yeah. franchising. It allows you to start on third base to, to be a little yeah. cliche on you. No, no, I like that too. And, and these mostly, you know, are they, are they, I guess, are they new, like, uh, you know, started from scratch? Are you buying existing uh, operating franchises? Or do you have to get involved as an owner operator or are they kind of hands-free? You know, what is the typical, you know, deal look like? Yeah, so, some are existing operating businesses, what we'd call a resale. The vast majority are you know, new to the market. Um, you, know, you may have an owner across the other side of the market, but you know, you're, you're new to the market. In some cases, they buy the entire market. Um, but no, it's, they're both models. Uh, one is the owner-operator where you're going full-time. One is what we call semi-absentee. It's mm -hmm. not totally passive. It's not fully absentee. Nothing is really out yeah. there for the most part, but you're putting manager in place. And so if mm -hmm. you have someone that you trust and I can cite case studies, I've got, you know, for example, a, a client of mine in Columbia, South Carolina, uh, Nathan, 
he's the largest franchisee of two men in a truck, which is a mm-hmm. franchise moving service operates in nine or 10 markets. The guy's only 40 years old. He's done very well, built a $30 million business. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got a great organization. Well, he and I did two deals together last year where he bought into a home services business with one and in another one, he bought into a trash smashing business. Talk about sure. non-sexy, but yeah, sure. yeah people love sure. that stuff. And uh, in both cases, he put a young guy over each of those businesses for him. He actually chose to give them some equity. So they acted like an owner. He didn't sure. just tell them to act like an owner. And in both cases, they've come back and already bought additional locations, you know, in the first 12 months. So yeah. a really good validation on there. But um, no, I have a lot of clients that are repeat buyers that, uh, are building out that portfolio one business at a time. Uh, in some cases, they complement. In some cases, they diversify. Um, and a lot of my clients are existing business owners too. Yeah. So you must do a lot of strategy call, I assume, if just figuring out how to like how to lay out like you know what what building you know what business to add on or layer into or you know I guess start from scratch, right? I mean, I assume you have a lot of calls with investors that are looking to figure this stuff out. Yeah, you know, and you start to see patterns and common threads uh, between them, which helps expedite the process. But then everyone is coming at it from a different angle, not only their financial position and what they currently own in their market, but also where their headspace is. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but I'd say one differentiating characteristic of a lot of my clients is they understand, you know, while some people think starting a business is risky, many of them recognize that working for someone else who's able to make the calls on their career is more risky. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can see that 100%. And any limit to where? I mean, is it mostly, you know, certain, are you limited to a certain area or is it nationwide? I mean, do you have hotspots that are, that are better for certain franchises? Yeah, I work across the entire U.S. and even some international. Um, you know, certain franchises, you know, play better in, let's say, Florida than they do in, in Boston, you know, that mm-hmm. due to seasonality or just due to the market need. Um, obviously, you know, like everything, I mean, we see a lot of growth in Texas and Florida and Georgia Carolinas are huge for franchising. Um, but I just did a deal out in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago, did the one in Boston this week, did one in Indianapolis two weeks ago. So no, we're seeing all the markets, you know, really in play. And like I said, you know, we're, I mean, we placed more than twice as many clients as we did last year, which actually during COVID, we placed as twice as many as we did the previous year. So we're seeing huge levels of interest. Um, you know, some people kick the tires and end up not buying, but quite a few are really getting serious about it and, and pulling the trigger. Love it. Love it. What, what questions did I forget to ask? I mean, if you're a franchisee or an investor who wants to become a franchisee, I mean, what kind of questions do they ask? I mean, what, what kind of things do they have to throw you off at a given time? I'm sure you're pretty seasoned at answering these questions, but you know, any, anything come to you or you're like, wow, I never got that question asked. Yeah, you know, there are a lot of questions that I say, hey, ask the franchisor, not me. You know, I'm flying mm-hmm. at 30,000 feet, but I have seen enough and had enough conversations across the country to understand it kind of, once I clue in on a few things you know, that, that you share with me, uh, I kind of know which path would be a good path for you and the types of opportunities that we ought to look at. Um, no, you can ask all sorts of questions. Um, you know, some want to understand why am I paying the franchisor a percentage of my revenue? And, you know, we talk mm-hmm. about why, yeah, that's a trade-off you're doing that for the support levels that you're getting from them. And if you're not getting that support level, that's an issue, but we try to go in eyes wide open. The great thing about franchising too, is every franchise system has what's called a uh, franchise disclosure document or FDD. It -hmm. makes their financial representations all on cost. They're regulated by the federal trade commission. So they really have to cross their T's, dot their I's and what they present to uh, the candidates. Um, But the FDD allows you to go in knowing, hey, here's the average of other franchise owners' businesses. I'm not just Mm -hmm. using a pro forma on the back of the napkin. Nothing's a guarantee, but at least I've got some really good data points. You're also able to talk to other franchise owners uh, through what we call validation. Ask about 
their experience, how much support have you gotten? How fast did you ramp up? And so there's a lot of ability to really go in eyes wide open, make sure it's the right move for you. Um, and it's a new skill set for a lot of people analyzing businesses. How do you compare option A to option B and what lens should we apply to that? What sure. framework should we be looking through? So um, I love what I do. I love exposing people to these opportunities that they wouldn't have thought of otherwise and kind of holding their hand through the whole process. Well, I mean, you definitely got my attention, John. I think that a lot of my listeners are going to want to be interested in something like this as well. So I mean, how does somebody contact you? What's the best way to get more information about it? Yeah, certainly. I connect with me on LinkedIn. I, I put a lot of content out there around uh, franchising. Um, but then go to our website, franbridgeconsulting.com. Uh, sign up for our newsletter down at the bottom of the page. And, uh, you know, would love to connect on a phone call. So if you sign up there, I'll reach out to you. And um, even if it's a 10 minute call, let's hop on the phone. We'd love to hear your story and help you better understand if it makes sense at this stage, you know, time for you to, to go down that path and explore opportunities. And then if it, if it does, then you know, certainly happy to walk you through the process. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure all that stuff goes in the show notes, guys, if you're listening and you're ever at all interested in franchising or getting involved as an investor, whether it's passive, whether it's active, um, I'm sure John has got the answers for you. So make sure you hop on the website, frambridgeconsulting.com, uh, right? Is that what you said? frambridgeconsulting.com you got it or, or hook up with john on linkedin and uh, send a message there uh john austinson thanks for being on the show today man it was great absolutely appreciate you having me joe thanks so much absolutely yeah. cool.